I got to be honest, I don't get it. I don't get all of the hype and the hoopla. I don't understand all the pomp and circumstance. I just don't understand. I just don't get it. I, I really can't for the life of me fathom why we care so much about the royal family in England. I don't get it. We won a war, people. I mean, we won a war 240 years ago. That means we don't have to care any longer about what goes on in Buckingham Palace. We won a war. Drives me nuts. Well, anyway, that being said, if the Queen of England were to walk into this room right now, and she'd probably be pretty mad at me, but if she were to walk into this room right now, and, and like, like Secret Service agents filled the room and like trumpeters came in, went, you know, and then she walked in. You know, hello, hello, people who used to belong to our country, that kind of thing. Um, maybe not. But I, I'd probably sing a little bit of a different tune, you know, if she were actually here, right? Uh, if, if a king, like the king of Denmark or... Uh, you know, the king of Spain, uh, you know, whoever has kings nowadays. But if a king were to walk in the room, I would probably sing a little bit of a different tune. I, we would probably be in awe. You know, we would show proper respect and, and we would be in awe of, of a king. If, if you ever got a chance to meet a king, you know, it would be, be pretty amazing. It would be pretty cool. Well, I want to let you know this morning that there is coming a day when you will meet a king. And, and I don't mean the king of England or the king of Denmark. I don't mean the king of rock and roll or the king of pop. I don't mean Larry King. I don't mean Don King. I mean the king of kings. And every single one of us will stand before a king one day. Jesus Christ, the king of kings. We will all stand before him. We will see him face to face, and we will, we will be before him, and he will be our judge, and we will see the king. We've been studying the book of Mark here on weekends at GFCC, and we've been studying through uh, uh, the book of Mark chapter by chapter. Now, if you've never been here before, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, uh, the book of Mark is a gospel. Uh, a gospel is simply a biography of Jesus. The word gospel comes from a Greek, an ancient Greek word, euangelion, which means uh, good news. And so the gospel of Mark is the good news about Jesus uh, that was written by a man named Mark. Now, Mark was a traveling companion of the Apostle Peter. And uh, the Apostle Peter uh, um, would go around preaching about Jesus and talking about the things that he said and the things that he did. And Mark wrote down all the stories and then he compiled them into this biography. And so we've been studying it chapter by chapter here since the beginning of the year. It's been a great study. It's been really interesting. And one of the interesting things about the Gospel of Mark is that in the first 10 chapters, he covers about three years of Jesus's ministry. And then he takes the last six chapters, chapters 11 through 16, to cover the last week of Jesus's life. So almost one third of the book is, is uh, dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. And we're going to see why that is over the next uh, six weeks. So we're going to take the next six weeks, starting today, and talking about the last week of Jesus' life. 
Um, it begins on a Sunday, what we know as Palm Sunday. Now, Palm Sunday is not for another four weeks, but we're going to cover it today uh, as we talk about how Jesus is the king, and we're going to talk about how this is the beginning of the end. <clears throat> now, if you brought a Bible, great. Uh, grab your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 11. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. In fact, we have brand new Bibles in the chairs. Uh, these just came in this week, and so we got those out there for you. It's on page 823 of that Bible. Uh, where you'll find Mark 11. Uh, if not, or you can always use your favorite uh, app on your phone, including the new GFCC app. Uh, if you've gotten the app, uh, you can download the GFCC app by texting GFCC app to 77977. It looks like this. Or you can search for GFCC in your favorite app store, whether it be iTunes or Google Play. And if you go to the GFCC app and scroll down, you'll see a thing called Sermon Notes. Uh, and it says March 16th, 17th, Mark 11. You click on that, and you can follow along with all the scripture passages, as well as you can fill in some blanks at the end. So always, uh, if you haven't checked out the app yet, get the GFCC app. It's really cool. And uh, somebody told me that first service, they're like, I love the app. It is so cool. It's like, I know. Anyway, so we love the app. And uh, if you haven't used it yet, give it a try and see what it's all about. So we are in Mark chapter 11 today. And uh, this story begins with Jesus east of Jerusalem uh, in a town uh, called Bethany. And he's going to pass through two towns to the east of Jerusalem, Bethany and Bethphage. And uh, Bethany is two miles outside of, Beth, uh, out of Jerusalem. And Bethphage is one mile outside of Jerusalem. And they're going to pass by the Mount of Olives. They're going to come down from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a relatively small mountain. It's 2,500 feet above sea level. And so Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Olives uh, through Bethany and Bethphage into Jerusalem. Now he sends two of his disciples ahead of him into uh, the town in order to fetch him a donkey, uh, a young colt whom no one has ever ridden. And he sends his two unnamed disciples to get this colt. And they go and get the colt. Uh, look at uh, uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 3 through 5. So he says, untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and find a, found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered the way that Jesus told them to. They, they told them what, what Jesus had told them to say. Uh, and so they let them take the colt. Now, Jesus uh, gets on the colt. They take their coats. They put it on the back of the donkey. Um, and uh, you know the story about Palm Sunday. The people laid their coats in the roads and, and in the road, and they cut down palm branches, and they laid those on the road as a sign of respect and honor for Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. Now, you've got to know this. This was Passover feast. There were three main feasts every year that all Jews had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The first was Passover, and this is the biggest of the three. It was a celebration of Jesus, uh, of God delivering his people from uh, slavery and bondage in Egypt uh, some uh, 2,000 uh, years before. So Jesus is getting ready to ride into Jerusalem for Passover, and there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem for this feast. The other two feasts, real quick, one is the Feast of Pentecost. It takes 50, place 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Um, it's uh, seven weeks and one day after Passover. It was a harvest feast. And then the other feast was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And uh, it was a reminder to the people that they slept in tents uh, when they were in the wilderness wandering for 40 years on their way to the Promised Land. 
So those are the three feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles or Booths. And this is Passover, and like I said, it's the biggest of the three. So there are thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem, and they are really, really excited uh, because Jesus is coming. And they've heard about him, they've heard about what he does, they've heard about the miracles he performs, and they're really, really excited for Jesus to come. Uh, look at verses 8 through 10. Go back a page. My pages are sticking together. There we go. So look at verse 8. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, uh, this scene was prophesied about uh, hundreds of years before Jesus actually rode into Jerusalem. In fact, the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 verse 9 said this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah prophesied 525 years before the birth of Jesus. This scene takes place 550 years after Zechariah said it would take place. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. And so uh, 550 years beforehand, Zechariah said that the king would be riding in on a donkey. And sure enough, here comes Jesus, humble, lowly, riding on a donkey. In those days, if you were a, a king and you were going to conquer a city, you would ride in on a stallion. You'd ride in on a, a majestic stallion to, to show your authority and that you were going to conquer this city. But not Jesus. Jesus rides in on a lowly, humble what? Donkey. It doesn't make you think of majesty, does it? You know, and here's the donkey. You know, all these people are coming out and they're waving their palm branches and throwing their coats on the road. And the donkey's thinking, hey, look at me. I'm pretty cool. It's not for you, donkey. The one on your back. Well, anyway, uh, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of this donkey. And the people are shouting and they're singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna is from a Hebrew word uh, that means save us. And this is even a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, in Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, the psalmist wrote, Lord, save us. That's that word, Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Now, one thing you've got to know about Psalm 118 is that it is the last psalm in a series of six psalms, Psalm 113 through 118, called the Hallel. And it was a prayer that the Jews would pray at each feast. So they would recite from memory six chapters of the psalms psalms 113 through 118 and the last psalm is 118 and these words are near the end of the psalm verses 25 and 26 so the people have this all fresh in their minds and they're seeing jesus coming and they're really excited they've got messianic fever uh, they're so excited about jesus coming and they're shouting out these words that they prayed at every feast in psalm 118 so all of this is coming together, and here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem, and, and he gets to Jerusalem, he takes a look around, and then he says, it's time to go, and him and his disciples go to Bethany, where they spend the night. The next day is Monday, and they get up, and they head into Jerusalem, where Jesus is hungry uh, on the way, and he sees a fig tree that is in leaf. So there are leaves on the fig trees, but there are no figs, because it wasn't fig season, according to Mark. And so look at verses, uh, verse 14. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. 
and his disciples heard him say it. Now this doesn't sound very Jesus-y, does it? Where he curses a fig tree because there's no, there's no figs on the tree. But Mark says it wasn't the season for figs. But what should have been on the tree were the, the buds, the fruit buds should have been on the tree by this time. And they were edible. You could eat the fruit buds and there's no buds on the tree. In other words, the tree wasn't doing what the tree was supposed to do. The tree uh, wasn't fulfilling its purpose. Now, Jesus just doesn't curse the fig tree because he's mad at the fig tree. He's, there's an object lesson going on here about Israel and how the Jews did not do what God had intended for them to do, which was to bless the entire world. Back when he called Abraham to follow him in Genesis chapter 12, he says, you're supposed to bless, you're going to bless the entire world. Your descendants, Abraham, will bless the whole world. And they hadn't done it. And so Jesus is not just pronouncing a curse on the fig tree, he's pronouncing a curse on the nation of Israel. So Jesus and his disciples head into Jerusalem, and, and this is what we see happening in verses 15 through 17. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves who would not allow anyone and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Now some people hear a verse like this and think, Well, you're not allowed to sell things in the church. That's not what Jesus is upset about. He's not upset that they were selling animals for sacrifices. In fact, it was an ancient tradition. If you came from a long way away, if you came from a long way away uh, and you didn't raise animals or you couldn't carry animals all the way to Jerusalem for your sacrifices, you would have to buy animals for your sacrifices. But then again, if you, uh, if you don't have those animals in the law of supply and demand says that you're going to pay through the nose for these animals because you are over a barrel. They got you right where they want you. And so they were charging exorbitant prices for the animals that they had to sacrifice. And not only that, but the money changers uh, were charging exorbitant fees because the temple tax had to be paid in shekels. And if you came from a place where they didn't use shekels and you had to exchange the currency from whatever you had into shekels, then they could charge you whatever fee they wanted to so that you, ha- so that you could pay your temple tax. And so Jesus is upset with the money changers and those selling the animals because they were cheating their fellow worshipers. And not only that, but they had set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. There were different courts in the temple. And the largest court was the court of the Gentiles. And that was where uh, Gentile converts could come and gather and assemble for worship. And here's the problem, is they had set up shop there in their court, and they weren't allowing the Gentiles to come in and worship. And so Jesus is angry with these merchants because they weren't allowing people to come in and worship. And that's why he says, it is written that my house will be a house of prayer for what? All nations, including the Gentile converts. It's a house of prayer for all nations. And they were being excluded. So Jesus is angry about all these things and he overturns the money changers' tables and he, and he casts them out. And and then verse 18 says this, The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And then evening comes and they leave the temple, they leave Jerusalem, and they go back out to Bethany for the night. Well, the next day comes, this is Tuesday of of the last week of Jesus' life, and uh, they're going along and they see the tree that Jesus cursed, and it is dead. 
from the roots up. So it lost all of its leaves. The, whole, the thing died. That's power right there. That is power. And some of you are thinking, well, I, I've killed many a plant in my life. Not overnight you didn't. Not overnight. So Jesus, uh, Peter remarks, look, Lord, uh, the, the tree you cursed has died. And this is what Jesus says, verses 22 through 24. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, remember they're in the shadow of the Mount of Olives, this 2,500 foot mountain, and he points to the Mount of Olives. If any one of you says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now some uh, uh, some uh, theologians and some preachers will tell you, see, this is what Jesus is saying, that all you've got to do is believe that what you want uh, will happen, and, and God has to do it for you. That's not what Jesus means. I could say, I believe that God wants me to have a Lamborghini. You know, every service laughed at that. It's not funny. I believe it. Here's the problem. I can have all the faith that God wants me to have a Lamborghini, but if it's not in the will of God for me to have a Lamborghini, and by the way, it ain't. Um, but if it's not in God's will for me to have a Lamborghini, I'm not going to have a Lamborghini. That's the whole thing about praying in faith. It has to be prayed in faith according to the will of God. Prayed in faith according to God's will. And, and, but when we pray, we've got to pray in faith, believing that God is able and God is willing to do His will, and, he's, and nothing can stop Him. There is nothing that is impossible for God. We have to pray in faith. That's what Jesus' brother James said the same thing in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 of his letter. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so when you pray, one of the keys to effective prayer is to pray in faith. You've got to believe that God can and will do whatever we ask in Jesus' name according to His will. You've got to pray in faith. The other key to effective prayer, Jesus says, is forgiveness. Look at verse 25. He says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. If you're going to pray and you want to pray effective prayers, you've got to pray in faith and you've got to pray for forgiveness for others. You've got to forgive other people. And that means forgiving your parents. Your parents hurt you. I, I get it. I get it. All right? Your parents hurt you in some way. You've got to forgive your parents. Or your kids. Your kids are wandering away from the Lord and it's breaking your heart and you're angry with them for whatever reason. You've got to forgive your kids. Your, your brothers, your sisters, you know, they hurt you when you were a little kid. They sat on your chest and like gave you noogies and things like that and you just can't get over it. You can't forgive them for it. You've got to forgive your siblings. You've got to forgive your spouse. Uh, some of you are angry with your spouse. Some of you are angry with your ex-spouse. You've got to forgive your spouse or your ex-spouse. You've got to forgive. If you want to pray effective prayers, you've got to forgive. And that's hard. I won't stand here on the stage and tell you that it's easy. I'm not going to tell you, oh, yeah, just get over it. No, there is no just getting over it. You are hurt. And you are hurt in a, in a really bad way. And I hear that. And I feel that. 
if you've got to forgive. If you want God to answer your prayers, you've got to forgive. And sometimes that means praying that God would help you to forgive. Because God may be the only one who can give you the ability to forgive. Faith and forgiveness. Two keys to effective prayer. Well, Jesus is in the temple. He's in the, uh, he's in the temple there. And uh, they get to Jerusalem. And uh, the chief priests, teachers of the law, the leaders of Israel come looking for him. Apparently they heard what he did the day before. And they're not happy about it. And they want to know who gave Jesus the authority to overturn the tables of the money changers and to cast out those selling the animals. Jesus replied, verse 29, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, his relative John the Baptist, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. So in other words, was John a prophet of God or was he just a lunatic? That's what Jesus is asking them. Look at verse 31. They discussed it among themselves, these are the leaders of Israel, and said, if we say from heaven, meaning that he is a prophet of God, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? In other words, if, if John truly was God's representative, if John truly was a prophet of God, then why didn't you do what he said to do? Why didn't you listen to him? If he came from God, why didn't you listen to him? Verse 32. But if we say of human origin, dot, 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 you see, they feared the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. So in other words, if they say, no, it was of human origin, that John was just a lunatic, he was just a, a regular old guy, the people would revolt. And the last thing that the Jewish leaders wanted was a re revolution. And so Jesus says this. Oh, they, they answered Jesus, verse 33. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. In other words, I'm not going to play into your hands, guys. I'm not falling into your trap. And just like you rejected John, you're going to reject me too. And that happens in just a few days. And we'll see that over the next couple of weeks. But the, the key here is that Jesus, I, I always look for a theme in, in, for a sermon. And, and so what is today's theme? The, today's theme is Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. And, and there's a couple of ways that he is the king. If you've got your app and you want to fill in some blanks, uh, the first thing is, is that Jesus uh, was the king of the crowds. He was the king of the crowds. Look at the, the way that people came to him and flocked to him. And they come out and they're waving their palm branches. They're laying their coats on the roads. They're laying the palm branches on the roads. And, and they're all excited about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And they were ready to crown him king, king of Israel. But Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. He didn't come just to be the king of Israel. Nope there's more. Well, Jesus was the king of the crowds. He was also the king of creation. We see this when he curses the, the fig tree. That everything surrenders and submits to Jesus, including nature, including creation. After all, the Bible says that Jesus, everything was created by him and through him and for him. Jesus had a hand in creation. And he was the king of creation. He was the king of the crowds. He was the king of creation. He's also the king of authority. And he, will not, he would not tell the Jewish leaders by what authority he was doing those things, but we know. It was the authority that God the Father gave to him as his son, as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the king of kings. So Jesus is the king of the crowds, the king of creation, king of authority. But what about you? 
I have a question for you. Is Jesus your king? Because that's why he came. Jesus wants to be your king. The king of your heart. The king of your life. The king of your destiny. Jesus wants to be your king. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Paul the Apostle wrote these words. He said, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and King to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus is the King of everything. He is the King of the uh, the crowds, the King of creation, the King of authority. He wants to be your King. And so my question today for you, is Jesus your king and be careful how you answer that question because if you say well yes jesus is my king have you surrendered and submitted everything to his lordship to his kingship have you surrendered everything to the king are you honoring the king in everything that you say and think and do is jesus your king have you surrendered to him have you humbled yourself before him do you bow before him and you will by the way whether you believe in him or not every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so whatever you're holding back from God, whatever you're holding back from Jesus, whatever you're holding back from your king, surrender it to him. Give it up to him. Say, this relationship that, that doesn't please you, I know God, I, I want to I please you with my relationship. This addiction that I have in my life that I know doesn't please you, I want to do away with this addiction. I surrender it to you, God. I surrender it to you, Jesus. Help me with this addiction. This sin in my life that I struggle with, this sin that doesn't please you, this sin that separates me from my family, this sin that separates me from you, I need to surrender it to you, God. I surrender to you my sin because you're the only one who can deal with it. You're the only one who can take it away. You're the only one who can heal me. And, and fix me when I am broken. This pain in my life, this hurt in my life, this unforgiveness in my life, I surrender it to you now, for you are the king. You are my king, and I surrender my hurt and my pain and my unforgiveness. I surrender it to you now, because you're the only one who can help me. Surrender everything to your king, because he is a good king, he is kind, and He is loving, and gracious, and forgiving. Surrender to your King, and He will help you in your hour of need. And you're like, I, I don't even know if Jesus is my King. It, it's a simple step of faith to make Jesus your King, to believe in Him as the Savior and King of the world, to believe in Him, to repent from sin, turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness, to confess your faith and to get baptized. That's how you make Jesus your king. And then if he is your king, if, if he is your king, if you are walking in faith, have you surrendered everything to him? Have you given him everything? Are you submitting to him and everything because he is the king? And like I said, one day we will all see him. We will all come into the presence of the king. We will all be before the king and we will see him as he is, as the king of the universe and the king of everything, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We will see him and we will bow before him and we will acknowledge and confess that he is Lord and he is king. 
every human being who has ever lived, every human being who will ever live, will bow before Jesus because he is 